Okay, so the very moment that I stopped that last recording, I remembered the word that I was trying to think of. I meant what I was thinking of as a pilot study. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of that at the time. <laughs> um, but um, uh, that uh, case studies are sometimes still used uh, in the early course of a um, program of research as a bit of a pilot study uh, to figure out exactly how you want to measure things or how you want to perform the research on a smaller scale before moving on to um, uh, correlational or experimental methods. Okay, so our next kind of research method, though, um, after descriptive methods, are correlational methods. And I mentioned to you, um, you know, in an earlier podcast uh, in this chapter, um, that um, correlational methods may be the ones that you're least familiar with or have least experience with um, from other kinds of uh, uh, science classes. Correlational methods essentially take descriptive methods and put some really useful math to them. Uh, essentially, in a correlational method, yeah, there's going to be description of what's happening naturally in the world or in people's behavior or whatever, um, but it's going to be measured um, numerically. Uh, and then a lot of that's, uh, those numbers are going to be put into equations to see if there are mathematical relationships between some of the different uh, things that are being studied, right? So, um, so it's a, a descriptive method plus math that allows you to see exactly what is the relationship between variables. Then the next thing about correlational methods is that once you know mathematically the relationship between variables, that's a very powerful thing because then you can use that for prediction for new cases. Okay, I hope to make that clear in this um, in this podcast. Uh, so the strength of the correlational method is that um, it, you're able to see systematic relationships mathematically and use that for prediction of future behavior. So if you've got a hypothesis that has something to do with uh, prediction, you know, what do we think is going to happen in this particular situation, given these particular kinds of circumstances? you may be liable to look at correlational research, right? Okay, so correlational research looks at the relationship uh, between variables or factors. Now, <clears throat> got to be clear here about what a variable is. Um, in uh, uh, psychological research, a variable is anything that can be measured. I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, <clears throat> a variable could be, uh, you know, there are a lot of things about human beings that, we could measure. We could measure uh, your height or your shoe size or um, how many countries you've been to, how many stamps you have on your passport, or how many languages you speak, or uh, how many years you've spent in school, or how many siblings you have, or, um, you know, we could um, measure your level of stress. Yeah, we could um, by, well, we could do that a few different ways, but um, by looking at blood cortisol levels or, uh, you know, just about well, pretty much anything that we can measure about a human being uh, could be a variable, right? <clears throat> so that's pretty broad. As long as we can measure it, we'll call it a variable. Now, in experiment, I'm sorry, in correlational methods, we're going to look at if any of these variables, measurable things about humans, have systematic relationships between them that we can even figure out mathematically. Like, is there a mathematical relationship between somebody's... Um, height and their shoe size. We could uh, look at a bunch of people, we could um, measure their height, we could measure their shoe size, we could plug this into a correlation matrix and figure out 
mathematically if there is a trend in the data, um, if knowing one tells you anything about the other. And actually, you probably would find some kind of relationship there, right? Taller people tend to have bigger feet, right? Um, it's not a it's not a perfect relationship. Uh, if you know somebody's height, you don't know exactly what their shoe size is, but you can make a prediction about their shoe size based on their height. And you can know that it's going to be within certain limits, um, you know, based on what you've seen in other people and their height and shoe size, right? So th this is basically what, um, what correlational methods allow us to do, is to figure out if there's a relationship between two variables, what that relationship is, and then use that relationship in order to predict for new cases. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, now you know, height and shoe size, you know, I mean, we could do that, uh, but that's not particularly interesting as correlational research goes. Um, <clears throat> in uh, psychological research and studying humans, since there's so many things we could potentially measure about humans, well, there's a lot of stuff we can look to see if it's related. I mean, we could look and see if, is there a relationship between, I don't know, the number of siblings you have and um, uh, how much money you end up making when you're 30 years old, right? Because we can measure those things about different people. And we can see if people who have a lot of siblings tend to make more money or less money or what. And I'm not even sure what I would predict on that. Um, I just made up that example. We could look at, is there a relationship between how much time a two-year-old spends watching television or in front of a screen, let's say, um, and their language abilities of that two-year-old? You know, the number of words that they know or the number of words they understand. By the way, two-year-olds should not be spending any time with screens, but that's a later chapter. Um, <laughs> uh, but we could figure out stuff like that, right? We could look at, is there a relationship between um, how many hours a night you sleep and how healthy you are, right? Uh, we could see if there's a systematic relationship. In any kind of correlational study, what we've got to be able to do first is identify what our two variables are that we're looking to see if there's a relationship. Then we've got to collect a bunch of subjects, a bunch of humans, and for each of those humans, we've got to measure two things about them. We've got to measure those two variables. We've got to measure how much time the two-year-old spends watching TV, and we've got to measure that same two-year-old's, um, what did I say, uh, language ability, or let's just say vocabulary size size of their vocabulary. And then we've got to measure that for every other two-year-old. Now, um, what this allows us to do is to look then if there is a systematic relationship mathematically. Is there a mathematical relationship between to where, you know, the more time a child watches TV, the better their language abilities are, or the worse their language abilities are, or what, right? See what the relationship is. Now, um, what that's going to yield is a statistic called a correlation coefficient. Correlation coefficients are um, very useful kind of statistics because essentially they tell us the relationship between those two variables. Um, and uh, uh, correlation coefficients um, can tell us numerically, mathematically, what's the relationship between those two things. That's where it's um, uh, a correlation Correlational research can help us to predict. So then if we, dis if we figure out, if we find out that there is a, let's say, a negative correlation between um, uh, how much TV a 
a two-year-old watches and how many words they're able to speak. Um, a negative correlation would mean that the more TV they watch, the fewer words they are able to speak. That's a negative correlation. And we knew it to be at a certain uh, um, correlation coefficient, like negative uh, 0.62 correlation. Then we could use that to predict for new cases. We could look at a child, uh, another two-year-old, who wasn't in our study. We could measure um, uh, how much TV they watch, and we could make a prediction about the size of their vocabulary. Now, once again, are we always going to be exactly right on that prediction? We're not, right? Um, but we're going to be able to tell how strong that prediction is, how much confidence we can have in that prediction based upon the strength of the correlation, right? And so, um, so correlational methods then are very useful um, in figuring out those patterns and being able to use that for prediction. Um, now, one of the real hang-ups with um, correlational research, though, is that correlation doesn't tell us about cause and effect. Just because we know that there is a, even a mathematical relationship between two variables, that doesn't mean that we know that one of those variables is causing or driving uh, the other variable to be a certain way. That would mean cause and effect. So it wouldn't be true to say from those research results that watching more TV causes a child to have a smaller vocabulary, right? All we know is that there is a relationship that we can use for prediction. If we want to know about cause and effect, we're going to need to do a different research method entirely. We're going to need to do an experimental method, which is the next one we'll be talking about. Um, but um, but this limitation of correlational research is a very important one to remember, that correlation is not causation. That means it doesn't tell us about cause and effect. And the reason that that's so important to remember is because it's very easy for people to uh, see that two variables are related and just assume that one of them must cause the other. Oh, well, well it must be that watching more TV makes you have less... Uh, uh, vocabulary or something like that. I don't know. But it may be something else. It may be that uh, if your parents are very busy and don't have much time to talk to you, well, then, then you're going to spend more time watching TV and you're also going to learn fewer words because you're spending time, less time talking to your parents, right? So it may not be the screen itself, but something else. This is referred to essentially as, as the third variable problem, uh, that, um, that in um, correlational research, just because we know things are connected, um, um, related mathematically, we don't necessarily know that it's one causing the other to happen. Uh, the two problems with correlation are the directionality problem and the um, uh, third variable problem. Third variable problem says there could be something else that could be causing that change. The directionality problem says we don't know whether it's the first thing causing the second or the second thing causing the first. What that all comes down to is that when we see the results of correlational research, we cannot infer causation. And um, But that's a real easy mistake to make. And, um, and I alluded to this earlier on um, in talking about uh, one of the reasons why it's important to know about research methods and what they're able to do. Because there are a lot of examples in the news and when people argue about stuff and, you know, they think they're using scientific research, but they can be using it wrong. They can be misinterpreting it. Uh, in figure 1.25 in your textbook, you know, they show some 
like uh, news headlines and I got a big collection of these in fact I stopped collecting them because there were so many but um but where essentially a news reporter may read the results of somebody else's correlational research where they see two things related and the news reporter makes the mistake of oh that must mean one causes the other uh, does your neighborhood cause schizophrenia well you know, I can guess that the um, that the research that was done and that was correlational. They essentially compared people in some neighborhoods to other neighborhoods, and they found that in some neighborhoods they had higher incidence of schizophrenia. You know, maybe that was a study that was done. Um, the um, but to say that um, and but to say that uh, living in a particular neighborhood causes schizophrenia, they would have to do an experimental research method which is the next one we'll talk about. But notice what they would have to do to get those kind of results. They would have to essentially take a bunch of people and randomly assign them to either live in a particular neighborhood or not. So they had to make people live in a certain place or forbid them from living in a certain place and then sit back and wait and see who develops schizophrenia. Now, does that sound like a study that could actually be done or would actually be done? <laughs> um, probably not, right? We couldn't ethically do that. Uh, and we wouldn't ethically do that. And so when you see headlines, um, that's one of the ways to realize that, you know, this is misleading. It couldn't be cause and effect. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why um, uh, cigarette companies could say for so long that it hasn't actually been proven that smoking cigarettes causes lung cancer. Because there were dozens, maybe hundreds of studies that showed a correlation. And what that correlation was, was the more cigarettes you smoked, the more likely you were to develop lung cancer. And the fewer cigarettes you smoked, the less likely you were. So a very strong positive correlation linking cigarette smoking and even um, uh, uh, amount of cigarette smoking with likelihood of getting lung cancer. But in order to prove whether or not it was really the smoking that caused it, they would have had to do a study uh, where they took a bunch of human beings, forced some of them to smoke, prohibited some others from smoking, and then waited to see who got lung cancer, right? They couldn't do that, not with human beings. I guess they did it with rabbits. But anyway, that's another story. Um, and so, um, uh, so since they couldn't do that experimental study and they were limited to doing correlational studies, the tobacco companies could say for a long time, well, you haven't definitely proven it. I mean, it could be something else. They could say it could be that, um, you know, some people have a genetic tendency to be drawn to cigarettes that also makes them more likely to develop uh, lung cancer. That could be a possible explanation. Or even having lung cancer maybe makes you more likely to smoke cigarettes, right? <laughs> um, so either one of those problems, a third variable, uh, you know, a genetic risk, a genetic underlying cause or whatever, uh, or, um, you know, smoking <laughs> cigarettes, I'm sorry, having lung cancer causes cigarettes would be the directionality problem. But, um, uh, so if you can remember that example, um, then that's a good one to remember that correlation does not show causation. And here's the punchline. The reason for that is that in order to show that something caused something else to be, to happen in a particular way, we have to be able to logically eliminate any other possibility of what would have caused that thing to happen, of what could have caused that thing to happen. And in correlational research, we can't do that. 
The only way, well, just about the only way we can do that is with an experimental research method. And that's the next research method we'll talk about. Oops.